You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Turn in your scriptures to the book of Matthew, the end of it. Actually, last week we were in chapter 1. We kind of ended there um, as we had looked even back to Joshua. But this week at the end, the very end of Matthew, chapter 28, we're going to be reading in a little bit verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. We've got a picture from last week. I think this is from Marshall, right? Okay, yeah. Now, Marshall, is that the... That's the preacher, right, with the pulpit and the cross up here? Is that, is that what's going on? Okay, all right. Good job. You got, and I still have hair on and all that. So thank you, Marshall. So glad I got that from you. Thank you, all, all you kids that join in. I'm interested to see how you draw out what I'm speaking and sharing uh, today. Let's go ahead and look at Matthew 28. I'll start in verse 16. Let's hear from God's word this morning. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Pray with me again. Lord, I just ask once more that you do a work through our time. I thank you for these songs of worship to hear your body sing together, to declare, Lord, our only righteousness is in you, our only hope. Our boast is in You alone. and Yet so often we want to boast or we want to make it about us and what we've done. So Lord, I pray only You, only You, Lord, would be praised today. And I pray that You would work through these words, through this text of Scripture, to challenge each heart, including my own. Be glorified here in this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Last week, as I said, we looked back uh, at this scene in the Old Testament book of Joshua in Israel right before their entry into the promised land. Joshua was going to lead some, we said, some two million people in there. And yet God is going to work through Joshua as his instrument. We talked about that. We said that God would call even Joshua and his people, the people of Israel, to follow the Lord. Remember, meditate on my word day and night. Some of those points of last week. And we ended that God says God would be with Joshua as he went into the promised land. Therefore, Joshua could go go boldly because God is with you and go courageously with strength. Your God is with you. Well, this week, we kind of just look at the second part of this going boldly in this portion of Matthew, the last five verses just of this gospel account, we we find these 11 disciples having just gone through the emotions of the, the death of their master, now his resurrection. And as we've read, it's referred to the Great Commission here. These disciples are to go out as well to, the, to where now? Now it's not just across the river, it's to all nations. To these people. 
Not to conquer land, but to conquer hearts. To proclaim Messiah and salvation and eternal life in the name of Jesus. And not unlike Joshua, these disciples need direction. They need encouragement for their task to go out. And to know that, yes, my disciples, Jesus says to them, I will be with you as well. So let's look at this section. We'll seek to understand it and then draw out some application as we are not to just remain comfortable in the presence of God. Thank you, Lord, that you're with me. Not just be comfortable there, although we want that. It's to take that comfort and go out and preach and proclaim so that others may know this comfort and this God. So look at verse 16. This is the first one here. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. They're up on a mountain. Verses, if you look back in this same chapter, 28, it's not a long chapter, but verses uh, 7, there's an, uh, there's an angel speaking to them. It says, it says to the, to the uh, women that had gone and seen the tomb, this angel shows up and says, go tell my disciples to meet, meet the Lord, meet Him in Galilee. He's going to go before you to Galilee. Jesus is, that is. And then um, verse 10, Jesus even shows up to these women after they've seen this empty tomb and says to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they, they will see me. And that's where we kind of end up. These disciples have, have gone. They've, they've gone there. And we're not told exactly which mountain this is. We just know it's Galilee, some 70 miles north of where they would have been in Jerusalem. Matthew doesn't get into the Jesus accounts in Jerusalem, but just this account up here on this mountain somewhere. I, I tend to think this mountain is perhaps the the same mountain where we typically would say Jesus preached his sermon on the mount. You've heard of that in Matthew five through seven in this book. Uh, it could be other places though. It's just a, it's a guess really of where it is. But Matthew seven, where that is, ends with um, these lines: When Jesus had finished teaching all these people on this mountain in uh, Galilee, the Sermon on the Mount, it says when Jesus finished these sayings. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribe. So here it kind of ends that Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew, the end of chapter seven. Here he taught as one who had authority. Now we're back way at the end of Matthew 28. Here again, he's got authority and we're on a mount. Kind of makes me think same place. But again, we're just guessing there of where this is. But he is giving out his commission to his followers, his disciples there's 11 of them remember judas is now no more there's 11 left they'll choose more when we get the book of acts but these are the followers of jesus comes from the greek these these disciples are these mathetai you hear the word math in there we'll talk about that but it can mean a a believer or a pupil uh one one dictionary says a learner to learn from the root math so this is math before it was numbers and quantity. This is the, the beginning math, the math they tie, the disciples, the learners, the followers. Um, it says, hence it denotes one who follows one's teaching. A disciple was not only a pupil, but an adherent. So this was not learning for the sake of knowledge alone, but it was learning and following. That's a disciple. It's not just somebody studying. Yep, I got the right answers on the test. It's somebody that's actually going to do it. It's much like some of you have passed driver's ed and or are looking towards that 
kind of the same principle. You don't, most, I, I don't know of anybody that this could happen, I guess. Go to driver's ed, not just looking to learn how people drive, and then they'll just continue riding bikes the rest of their lives. I think most go there so that they can put their hands behind a wheel and go drive the car. It's kind of the same idea as being a disciple. It's not just learning, though there is teaching and there's learning. and We want to study hard. But there's a doing to that learning, isn't there? There's a following to our master, to living life in a different way. So they've come to this mountain. And then verse 17 continues, and we learn that they do, in fact, they do see Jesus here on this mountain, but they have mixed reactions says they they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's kind of this this mixed reaction of worship and doubt. Now, some commentators would say here, no, it's not the 11 disciples who are doubting, it's others. Uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 about Jesus appearing to some 500 after he had been raised to life. Some would say, well, there's more than the 11 here. There's, There's possibly 500. And so what's meant is that you know, the disciples now having seen Jesus back in Jerusalem, now they, they worship, but those the rest of the crowd is doubting. I, it's harder to see. I think it could be. It could be a lot of people here. That's certainly, I don't want to argue either way there. I think what's, what's clear here is that some worshiped, and I, I would take some disciples, some doubted here. There's a mixture. The reality is, as seen throughout the Gospels, and you remember this when we were in Mark and we were, we are on, our, on a pace to get towards Mark soon, get back there again. But we see throughout the Gospels the weakness of Jesus' followers to comprehend Him. Remember their fear in the boat? And now here, even though I think, even though they see Him standing right there, some worship, but some doubt, and they don't believe. Is this really, is this really the Lord here? And we see the reality of weak disciples. But in the very next verse, we see the reality of a strong, a strong Savior. Look at verse 18. Here's Jesus now coming to them. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These words come right after the scene of some disciples worshiping, some doubting. And what will Jesus, who knows the heart, what's he going to say He knows this heart. He knows some worship, some doubt. What's his first words? And his first words are, I reign over all things. I've been given uh, I've been given authority. All power, you might say, is given unto me. Jesus has authority. Think of that word in your mind as, as you think of it. Author. That means he sets as the author of life and death. He sets the rules. He sets the commands and how we are to live and follow. And everything means that he writes the story, not any one of us. He's the author. He's the authority. He commands where to follow, even to death, if that be the case for the cause of Christ. You think about these doubts of some of them there. I think they come really as we place ourselves in authority over what God has said. I think doubts come when we become the authority on whether what God says is true or if we're if we'll believe it or do it. I don't think true worship occurs. True worship of our God occurs because we have 50 reasons 
to believe, although reasons are good. And, and I appreciate the books that help us see that, yes, the Bible translation, it's accurate. and We can look back th- towards all these reasons. We have a reasonable faith. But I think true worship comes. It takes place when we acknowledge we are under God. There is an otherness to God. We submit. We come under Him. We don't say to God, I'll give you authority. I'll grant that to you. He has it. He's not waiting for us to grant it. He has it. But we can come under and say, I submit, I acknowledge you have the authority. And we worship Him in that. I think when we, when we doubt, we look and we say, no, I'm going to figure Him out. I'm going to test Him and see that instead of worshiping, coming to worship Him. So though we are like Jesus' disciples, prone to weakness, prone to doubt, we're to look by faith to the strong one, not our own strength. Again, I think doubts cause us to look within, don't they? Do I believe? Is it whenever you've doubted the faith, doubted where you're at, how am I looking at this? Is this and, and we kind of look within for our own reasons. And yet worship causes us to look beyond, out of us to our Lord and Savior. Well, because Jesus has authority then, His way, His plan... His commands are laid out here as His mission as we then look into verses 19 through just the first part of 20. It says this, Go therefore. So here's this authoritative. Here's the ruling king that says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus here commissions his followers. He comes with authority, but here he commissions his followers. There are four main, if you look through here, there's kind of four main actions. There's more than four verbs here, but if you see them, you've kind of got actions here. Verse 19, at least in the ESV, says go. You've got going. You've got making disciples. You've got baptizing. And then you've got teaching then there's some verbs after that that just kind of lay out, well, how do you teach? You observe what I've commanded. Some other action words, but really four of them. It's hard to tell in the English, but the hub word or the center of that all those other words are coming around is the one phrase, make disciples. That's the main action point. In other words, if you kind of shed all the others, if you boiled out the words here, and you were left with one, it would be this, make disciples. And the others, the going, the teaching, the baptizing, kind of come around and surround this idea of making disciples. Jesus commands His disciples to then make disciples. Who will make disciples? Who will make disciples? It's kind of just this, this ongoing cycle. So it's all about who here. And not what you follow. Remember, disciple, follower, pupil, adherent, not just knowing, but following. Here's what one commentator says, just to help us understand this first century disciple and what they all knew, but we maybe struggle in our to know what did a disciple mean? He says this in the first century, a disciple did not enroll with such and such a school, but with such and such a teacher. Right. So it wasn't. That they went to, you know, the University of Minnesota or Northwestern or these places. They went to an actual person. I want to be under Jesus or so forth. Different people. Okay. 
he goes on to say, Jesus' disciples are people for whom a life has been given in ransom and who are committed to the service of the Master who not only took time to teach His disciples, but who died for them and rose again. That's what Jesus did for His disciples. I'll keep going. Those who are disciples of such a leader are committed people. End of quote. A disciple follows someone, not something. Make disciples, followers of Christ. Now, we read this, and if you're maybe like me, some questions come up. This question has come up, and I've wrestled with this myself here in this passage. And here's the question. This call to make disciples, this call to go to the nations, to baptize. This was a call. Does it seem like this is a call for the apostles? This, does this apply to us? It's 2018 now. Is this a, really a call for our lives? Or was this just for those special 11? You know, they, they did it. They took care of it. They're the ones. Or is this for, for all? Here's a couple thoughts that might help you as it helps me in thinking through this question. Can we apply this even to 2018, this call to go make disciples? Two of them just kind of come from the context itself. Uh, what does Jesus say here in verse 20? He's to t- there to teach the next disciples all that I've commanded you. All right, that includes what Jesus just commanded. Okay, so he commanded them, make disciples. Teach them everything I've commanded. Well, teach them to, what did he command? Make disciples. And so there's a cycle there. You can see that. I think it's also interesting in this section, in verse 16, the 11 disciples are called that. They're called disciples. It doesn't say the 11 apostles went to the mountain. It could say that. It's the disciples. And now we see, again, Jesus calling them, disciples, make disciples, reproduce, make disciples, and so forth. They're to multiply. Well, one other place, if you'll turn with me just to the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's kind of a, not secondary, but a similar commission here as Jesus is um, speaking to His disciples right before He ascends uh, to the Father. It, it says in Acts 1, 8, it says, but you will receive, so here's these, uh, they're gathered here to see Him leave. Verse 8, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And God, as we read through the book of Acts, and if you've been reading through the Bible on kind of the two year plan, I invite you to join in with that wherever you're at. We started in Acts here and we're I forget what we're at, 14, 15, somewhere around there. God uses many other people than the 12 disciples uh, to go out. He uses Philip, Stephen. There's even phrases. The disciples were increasing in number. The disciples multiplied. Then if you'll turn, if you're in Acts, turn to chapter 8, verse 1. We're kind of answering again, just to help us anchor back. We're answering that question, well, is that for us? Is that just a dis- just an apostle thing to go make disciples? To go out and preach? Look at, look at Acts chapter 8. Verse one. And so if this is helpful, Acts one eight says, go be witnesses. If you flip the numbers around, Acts eight one tells us some of how that took place. 
Let me read it for you. Uh, it first says, and Saul approved of his execution. That's of uh, Stephen here in the, in the story right before this. But we'll keep reading. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church, the people of God, against the church in Jerusalem. And they, so who's the they? It's the church. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Remember the call of Acts 1.8? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria here. Okay, is Judea, is this the apostle work? No, it says they were all scattered except the apostles. Verse two, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then verse 4, we're not going to read the whole, but just verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And I would ask, who's the scattered ones? It's the church. They went about preaching the word. This is not a call for apostles alone, though there is a call for them. And we do have their word that they preach through the, through the Gospels, through the rest of the New Testament. But it's a call for each and every disciple to multiply where you're at, to reproduce, to go make disciples. It's a call on us. It starts in really our own life to be a disciple, to be a follower. We know God's with us. We want to meditate on the Word of God. He can use us, certainly, however His plan is. But then we're to make disciples. Let me encourage you that are married in the home with a spouse to disciple, encourage one another in the Lord. You have children. Your first disciples are your church that meets in your house every day. That's your first disciples that you are to make and to raise up and to teach and to observe all of what Jesus has commanded. But it doesn't end there, does it? There's this call also by Jesus. Then back in Matthew, the end of Matthew, uh, end of verse 19. Let's see, where is it? Start of verse 19. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. They're to go to all nations, not just the home, but to all nations. Perhaps you, like me, if you've heard of this aspect of Israel, and maybe maybe even this is Old Testament or New Testament, I can't remember how quite I've heard it, but I think it fits that as the Old Testament we read about Israel, they were kind of a, a nation of come and see. Come to the temple, right? Come and hear the law. Come and see God. And then you have this New Testament kind of a, a go and tell. So Old Testament, you think of Israel, it was come. Come, look who God is. Look at His greatness, His law, His temple, that sort of thing. And now the New Testament is a go and tell. And it comes even from this. As Jesus tells His disciples, go, make disciples of all nations. Peoples everywhere, not Jews only. So that's kind of the go and the make disciples. But then we've, we want to deal with just briefly the baptizing and the teaching. Those are the other two verbals there. In terms of the baptizing, these are kind of uh, might answer the question to the disciples. Well, how do you make a disciple? It's by baptizing and by teaching. It's really quite simple, but we have a hard time, I think, in our day understanding this whole idea even of of baptism. I think it helps to understand this as synonymous Say it right, synonymous with conversion. 
Okay, so if you believed in the gospel, you were baptized. They were like just uh, peanut butter and jelly. You know, just go together. You believe in the Lord, you're baptized. That sort of idea. So I think we can see that here. So baptizing them is go evangelize, go preach the gospel. See, baptisms take place. Today in our church, we have four taking this step here to identify with Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm proud of each of them willing to do this today. And again, if you've not taken that step of being baptized as a symbol of your faith in Christ, I invite you to do so. But they were to baptize, not just... Jesus gives them directions here. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The name. What's interesting here is the word, the name, it's singular. It's not baptizing them in the names. It's the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's singular, though it does list three persons. We kind of have here the, a Trinitarian formula there. The Father who calls. The Son who lives a perfect life. Who dies death He did not deserve. Who is raised to life again. Whose atoning blood, His blood purchase, purchases us. Back to God and the Holy Spirit who applies that in the heart, who regenerates, gives rebirth to the dead sinner. And so you baptize in that name. That is, there's a new name you get in Christ. Uh, Milt referenced it in his prayer. It's Acts 4.12. There is no other name by which we must be saved. One writer says of this name given here in verse 19 that it here it means power. Or authority. Uh, Paul says this. You can just write down the reference. Romans 6, 4. He says, We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in an order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's this being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in which your name, yes, my last name's Mike or Croker. Mike Croker, that's a name. But really... I've died and your life is hidden in Christ. We have a new name. We're sons and daughters of the King. A new name is given to us. We have new identity. Don't forget who you are in Christ. There's baptizing them. And then lastly, verse 20, they're to teach my commands. Because we are in Christ, we're to obey all the commands of our Lord and Savior. We're to live out our lives as disciples of Christ, teaching others to do the same. God's graciously given us His Word and His commands that lead us back again and again to Christ. The question is for us, will we obey this command to make disciples, to going, to baptizing, to evangelizing, to teaching. One help, and I've put it in your bulletin. Uh, it's, I don't think it's the first time I've ever put it in there, but it's the, it's that, the good news of the gospel, kind of the gospel laid out, just in kind of an acrostic form. There, it helps me as I remember through these things. And I hope you use this, or you take the backside that's blank and you make your own, and a way that you can easily remember it how. If I'm to make disciples, well, they need to be baptized. And with that means believing in Jesus. 
How do they do that? What do I say? I don't know what to say. Well, this might help you. I know I'm supposed to preach the gospel. Okay, I can remember that. Maybe some of you this morning are even new to what the gospel means. And as we, you can look through that sheet just real briefly, it means that the G is, means God is holy and righteous. We looked at Isaiah 6 last week. He is not unclean. He's pure. But we are not. That's the O. We're, we're in sin. We're in bondage to sin. Dead in it. That's what the Bible says we are. And so we need S. We need a Savior. A familiar John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There is no other Savior. And I really appreciate that song we sang. It's not, in, it's not in my tears. It's not in what I say. It's not in how much I give. It's in Christ. He's my righteousness. And He is because He's a Savior. And that P, this is a bigger word, but it's penal substitution. That means He took the penalty, took the death we deserved. He took that upon Himself. The, the verse there, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We need Christ in order to stand before a holy God, in order to live eternally. And so to do that, we exercise God-given, and I would add in there, God-given repentance and faith. Turning from sin, looking to Jesus. And even that is a gift of God. You can see the verse there, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And from that, by God's Holy Spirit, He works in us holiness to live for Him, to obey what Jesus has commanded. And we're to be a living sacrifice based on who we are. Our identity is in Christ. Now we can live for Him. We've brought brought out of bondage. If this morning that's something where you're not at, you say, I don't know if I'm a disciple. It's simply turning from sin and looking to the Savior, looking to the cross. Nothing else will save but Jesus alone. Appreciate that prayer. I think maybe it was Milt this morning that all of us need a Savior. We all need saving. There's something true about each and every one of us. Though we wear different clothes, so I couldn't say we're all wearing blue or red or that sort of thing. We all need saving from sin. If not, the punishment is eternal punishment in hell. We need His saving. He's gracious by sending Christ Jesus. So, if you're going out to share the Gospel, use this. Or, I would really encourage you, you can forget the front, take a blank, and make it your own so that you're prepared to go share the Gospel. There are tracks back there. You can find other helpful things. Maybe you even just take someone and say, do you want to come along? You, i got an extra Bible. Let's look through something together. Read these Scriptures together. My question for you is, how will you obey this command to make disciples this year? Do you see how God has uniquely placed each one of you where nobody else can go? You, wherever that office spot you have, no one else from this room is there. That's you. Or that farm location where you're at and that buyer you get such and so from and the fertilizer guy that comes over and all those things. Do you know that you're the unique person? None of the others are in that spot with those people.
people. That's you. That's your area. That's your going. That's your nation. Maybe some of you God is calling even to go up from the U.S. and go to further unreached people. And I pray, we pray, that would take place. But where is that place? Will you be obedient to seek to make disciples? To follow God's commands. I did some math. Because disciple starts with you know, math, we've got to do a little bit of math. Here's some math. Just information. Helpful, though. Pretty interesting. Let's just say you reach one person for the Lord this year. One disciple. Pretty low, you know, we just trust. And again, who does the work in the heart? It's God doing the work. We don't, we're to make, we're to go and to create, but we know God is working. And so we can go by His authority. Let's say you make one disciple this year. That, so that's, we're doing the math, that's two. All right? At the end of the year, that's two people. So that's you, the other person, disciple. Let's say the next year you do it again. And you make, uh, that person goes to make one disciple and you make an additional disciple. You see where I'm going? That's, so in two years, it's four disciples. If you keep going, it adds, it's, it's quite fascinating. If those four disciples that started from you making one disciple, if everybody just makes one disciple, it means you're praying, you're seeking out someone to share the gospel with, that they would come to know the Lord. So it's two years, there's four. It doubles, right? In three, that's, if everybody is making disciples, it's eight. Four years down the road, let's just say, we don't know, we don't know God's plan, but could it be? Those eight, if each one makes one disciple, fourth year, it's 16 disciples. In year five, it's 32 disciples. And it just keeps, I don't know what the correct term, but it keeps going like that, on and on. For making one disciple who will make a disciple. Can I encourage you, my own heart, to think about doing such work? And we recognize this work is not something we do on our own. A gentleman named Neil Brower wrote a book called Pray and Watch. It's been a long time since I've read it, but it was quite encouraging as the simple words pray and watch are in this book. One, he makes the point. It says what people need most is Jesus. Would you agree? All of us here, if we're all sinners... What do we need? We, we don't need a new car. They're nice. We don't need the Vikings to win, though. I'll just, okay, oh, helpful for you, you know. All those things. We need, what people need most is Jesus. It's easy to say, do I believe, do I believe such and so that's his greatest, her greatest need? If so, we want to begin to pray for that person. And I'm challenging you, myself included this morning, to think of one person that you want to begin to pray for. Written prayers can go in and out, uh, but I want to show you something up here. There's just a prayer that Neil encourages. You pick that person to pray for. Um, you could begin to pray like this, and I put it at the, at the bottom of your bulletin if you're interested. Again, if you're not into written out prayers and feel that's kind of canned, that sort of thing, that's fine. Cross it off. Work out your own prayer, but pray consistently and you today fill in that blank. Holy Spirit, who are we acknowledge? We're acknowledging we don't do a thing. We, we pray. Holy Spirit, please work in the heart of, I'm asking you, fill in the blank, to draw them to Jesus. That's who they need most. And to make them a laborer for the kingdom, a disciple for the kingdom of God. There's a greater kingdom than, than the U.S., than anything in this world, isn't there? It's the kingdom of God. 
And I'm encouraging each of you is to begin praying for that person. If you have a pen with you, I'm just going to give you 30 seconds, a minute here. I'm just going to go quiet. Would you think of somebody prayerfully? Is there somebody you would fill in the blank? I'm just going to encourage you. Nobody needs to know. Just write down the name of who that would be. If you need more time this afternoon to pray or think, maybe you need more time. Do so. But if you think of a name, who does not know Jesus in your sphere, your life, that you could write down and begin to pray for that one person? may be an intimidating person to speak with. This whole process might be intimidating. There's help available, but I left out the best help, and that's right at the end of this passage. Look at the last part of verse 20, Matthew 28, 20. We hear the same words again from our great God. And behold, Jesus says this, as we go forward, as we Think about this person to go make disciples, to go witness to the great gospel. Jesus says to his disciples, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's emphatic here. I I'm with you. The comfort of Emmanuel that we just sang about at Christmas, God with us is the same comfort that goes with us now. God was with Joshua. God came in the flesh to dwell with us. Emmanuel, right? That Emmanuel of Matthew one twenty three. God with us. And now he's the same Emmanuel at the very end of the same gospel that says, behold, my disciples go make disciples, baptize, teach to observe all I've commanded. And remember, behold, I'm with you always. If it's up to us or our power, this plan of discipleship will fail. But we trust in the authority of the one who calls to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. Let me pray for you and me. Oh, Lord, spur us on. May you bring whatever this person is, whoever they are that's been brought to mind. May they not leave our thoughts, but may you impress them and impress them and impress them on our hearts this year that we may go boldly because you're with us to share the gospel to someone that seems to not even want to hear it. Lord, may we care for their heart when we do it, not just to check off a box. But Lord, that without Christ, they have a destiny of your wrath, of your punishment for their their sins, what we all deserve. And so, Lord, give us uh, energy Give us conviction that without Christ, people will spend eternity in hell. And Lord, missing out on the joys of Christ and forgiveness. So, Lord, I pray you give us that courage and that boldness that you are with us. 
pray we'd be a praying people, praying for many people that we see around us to know Jesus as Savior. And Lord, as we baptize even in the waters later on, may we proclaim your great name, your great work to save a sinful man and woman. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.